He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. And this is Rita Cosby in for the great John Katsimatidis on Cats at Night. And lots of big breaking news just a little bit ago. A press conference with Joe Biden. Breaking news. WABC. Finally, he breaks his silence after two weeks, but left a lot more questions than answers. And joining us on the great show right now, we have our favorite Democrat, Judge Richard Weinberg, our other favorite Democrat, Hmm. former New York Governor David Patterson, and also here in studio at Cats at Night is former New York congressman and also former New York gubernatorial candidate who helped lead that big red wave in New York, Lee Zeldin. Great to have all of you guys here. Uh, Lee, let's start with you. Your reaction to Biden finally saying something, and he basically admitted it was basically we're shooting down weather balloons. Well, you know, at least it's coming out publicly because the American public wants to know what does the government know. And what was obvious when the senators were coming out of the confidential classified briefing a few days ago, senators on both sides of the aisle were coming out and saying, what you just told us in these closed doors, you could tell the American public. I saw a a reference to Senator Katie Britt says this is the number one question that she is getting asked by constituents. So you'll put it to bed. If there's a vacuum, what ends up happening is that the American public start talking about, you know, UFOs where aliens are coming from out of space. That's what happens if you don't provide this information. It seems like maybe the information was kept quiet because it's maybe somewhat embarrassing. You end up shooting down something that, you know, maybe is some kid's project or some adults, uh, you know, involved in putting something up, some object in the sky that maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they should ask for permission. I don't know. But, but. This was not a China spy balloon. Uh, so getting back to the China spy balloon that we do know about, I think it's important now that we have some more facts on the few that were shot down and to know that they're going to fix this going forward as far as process and communications. Uh, we do need to talk about China. Yeah, absolutely. Judge, uh, pathetic. Didn't you think of the press conference? I thought the press conference was pathetic. But I think the way the administration has handled this from the very beginning has been pathetic. They could have taken that down a long time ago, raised the serious questions about our intelligence capacity and military capacity and political judgment and governmental judgment by this administration. And Governor Patterson, you're a Democrat, but you heard it, too. So I listened to this show on Monday, I believe, and uh, uh, one of the congressional members was on, and he was talking about how nobody in Congress knows what's going on. So I thought that the first thing that the president would do is perhaps to just say, listen, uh, it's taken us a while to get all this information, and I apologize to the leaders in Congress who have been trying to report back to the American people, but he doesn't do that. He acts as if it didn't even happen. And I think this is kind of a, a problem that he goes through. And then he meanders along, and then he makes a strong statement. Well, make no mistake about this. And then after he tells you what it is, you don't even know what the mistake could be made. Uh, what I thought was sort of funny is he ruled out everything except UFOs. <laughs> yeah, it definitely did. Boy, were there so many questions. And everybody here, now we have some more breaking news. Breaking news, WABC. And joining us now is the great investigative journalist and founder of Just the News, John Solomon. What is the big breaking news you got today for us? 
Well, two months or two weeks after uh, everybody started to see the China spy balloon, President uh, Biden finally came out and gave his explanation for why he did the things he did. Uh, it wasn't a very reassuring uh, news conference for most people. He says they still don't know any, much about the three other balloons that they shot down. But as for the China balloon, he said that he was firmly in charge. He made the decision not to shoot it down over the continental United States because it might fall on people below. And uh, he waited till it got to the other side of the country, and then he shot it down. Now, reporters were shouting questions at him. One of the questions was, well, if you were so concerned about debris, why did you shoot the other three down afterwards over the continental United States? The president paused, didn't answer any questions, actually called one of, suggested one of the reporters was rude for asking him a question, and then he kind of uh, waddled off into the uh, back into the White House. But uh, we didn't get a lot of answers today. What we do know is that, yes, the China, uh, the first balloon was a Chinese uh, espionage balloon. The other three, they still don't know a lot about. Uh, and uh, But he wants us to rest assured that he's got the situation under control. The reporting, pre- uh, uh, the media were really frustrated by the president's unwillingness to answer any questions. Uh, someone shouted out, are you compromised on China because of your son? And he did one of those, give me a break, man, come on, man, things. Uh, but we didn't get much, but it is the first time that the president felt compelled to come out and address the nation on this. Uh, I think that's the big story of the day. Meanwhile, for Pennsylvania voters, uh, some bad news today. Their brand-new Democratic senator, Senator John Fetterman, who suffered a stroke last year, had very, uh, a lot of difficulty running in the fall, but still won. He checked himself in today to a hospital uh, for treatment for clinical depression. His staff says that he's really struggled with the inability to recover from this stroke and that it led to a bout of depression. So all hearts and thoughts and minds are with him today from the great state of Pennsylvania. Yeah. How serious is that, uh, John Solomon? This is big news about John Fetterman, that he voluntarily checked himself in for depression. Of course, he had health issues just recently. It's like the second time in like two weeks. He also had a stroke, remember, famously, Mm -hmm. uh, when he was on the campaign trail. Uh, How bad is this? You know, listen, the stroke has clearly taken a lot of his capabilities away, something that uh, we saw again or were reminded again last week when he was hospitalized for a couple of days for lightheadedness. They said that wasn't really uh, a function of the stroke, but they then acknowledged that he has a very difficult time hearing uh, questions. He can't process verbal speech very often. He has other voices or other sounds in his head uh, that uh, in- interfere with his ability to process basic conversation so uh, we know the stroke has been devastating to him, and he's a proud man. Uh, that what his uh, team is saying now is that the uh, the uh, the fight against the stroke and trying to get back to a normal life with the stroke has led to some form of depression. And uh, listen, we we struggle in this country with dealing with mental illness, and I think uh, being able to be candid about it and having someone volunteer recognize they're struggling with it, go get treatment at the front end, probably will be applauded by a lot of people including medical health professionals, depression is the real thing. And uh, it, uh, this man has been through an awful lot. And I think uh, the stroke now with the depression is going to sideline him for some time. Yeah, and it begs a lot of questions. Like, is he fit to serve? I mean, he's missed, I think it's like eight votes already so far, John. Um, in addition to this, you got some big blockbuster stuff on FBI whistleblowers Basically, with what woke quotas? Tell us about this, John Sullivan. This is an important one. So we've been writing about this uh, particular whistleblower, Steve Friend, a decorated agent, was on the um, uh, SWAT teams. Uh, he blew the whistle on the FBI as it related to the conduct of the January 6th investigation, saying that he witnessed widespread civil liberties abuses as they pursued 
um, January 6th defendants. Some of those abuses were opening up cases without a proper predicate, meaning there wasn't an evidence of crime, but they were being pressured to open up. Another abuse, he said, was using SWAT teams to arrest somebody on a misdemeanor minor charge when there was no threat analysis suggesting that they needed a SWAT team. SWAT teams are expensive. They're also dangerous. If someone's uh, you burst into someone's home, guns blazing, there's always a possibility of an unexpected reaction. Uh, and then there were some other uh, questions he raised about the Fourth Amendment and the Eighth Amendment in terms of whether the FBI was following due diligence and due process. Uh, but uh, he was interviewed yesterday by the House Judiciary Committee. We confirmed that. He also resigned from the FBI yesterday. Why? Because for 150 consecutive days, the FBI has not given him his paycheck. Now, they haven't accused him of any wrongdoing. They simply put him through a security review clearance and decided not to pay him during that review uh, security clearance review. He says it's weaponizing a very basic process of the thing to punish him because he's a whistleblower. But in his interviews, we have confirmed, and we actually talked to Steve Friend today, interviewed him on the record. He said he re- raised some very serious concerns about what he called was a quota system. He said there is a uh, computer system uh, called the Integrated Program Management System inside the FBI. And what it does is the FBI sets metrics for itself sets a quota for how many cases they want to hit for each of these um, metrics so that they can go to Congress and get more budget money. And essentially, it was pressuring FBI agents to meet that quota, open up a case, whether you had a predicate or not, just to meet the quota number. And then he told us an amazing story that affected him in this process. He actually was about to indict someone for a real crime, and his handlers told him, no, don't do it now. We already have enough cases for this year. Wait till the new fiscal year. To wow. Wait a second. It's a crime. I should do it now. No, no, no. Let's meet the quota. Uh, some really dramatic testimony, really dramatic uh, statements from FBI whistleblower Steve Friend, somebody I think the country is going to hear a lot about in the next six months. Wow, that is explosive. Uh, John Solomon, you always have great stuff. Thanks for joining us here on Cats at Night. Really great to have you here, John. Great to be with you. And we continue now in the studio. Again, we've got Judge Richard Weinberg. We have former New York Governor David Patterson and also former New York Congressman and former New York gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin. Uh, Congressman Zeldin, your reaction first off, this big news that John was talking about, about John Fetterman voluntarily checking himself into the hospital. Listen, I hope that he gets the help that he needs. Uh, he's clearly going through a lot right now, mental, emotional, physical, and the people who work at Walter Reed are the best of the best, and they care for uh, heroes. Uh, Senator Fetterman is fortunate to be able to get that standard of care at Walter Reed, uh, and I hope that he recovers. As far as his future and his ability to serve, I hope that he's able to recover from his stroke. I hope that he's able to overcome these mental health challenges but there, there is a possibility that we might get to a position where even his colleagues in his own party – uh, in the United States Senate decide that they want the Pennsylvania governor to appoint a replacement, he might need to step down. We'll see how that Which goes. Which would be a Democrat, right? I'm sure that the Pennsylvania governor would be appointing a Democrat to governor, fill that seat. Governor Shapiro is a Democrat. There's no doubt he would appoint a Democrat. Right. But it raises a very serious question, which is the lack of responsibility of the Democratic Party in Pennsylvania enforcing this nomination and this candidacy when they knew and his family knew how impaired he was. Yeah, did they sell the voters a bill of goods? Well, the point is, in these terrible times, the most dangerous times in my lifetime that we're living through, we need the best and the brightest leading this country. And clearly, and I wish Senator Fetterman well, clearly he was not up to the job 
And that's totally irresponsible for the Democratic Party to push him into uh, office. Governor, well, and you look at the debate, too. I mean, my goodness, the debate with him and Oz, it was Listen, apparent. I, I think the people of Pennsylvania were well aware of his problems. They voted for him against another candidate. So, in other words, even with his problems, I'll vote for him instead of the other candidate. And I think that, you know, when President Trump ran for president, people said he was too old. He wasn't too old. Now he may run again. That would be eight years after he ran the first time. And, you know, yes, he's older. Biden is clearly uh, an older candidate. I think in uh, but older is it age or is it mental? Uh, I mean, we're going to hear, by the way, shortly. Gov, um, hopefully, results on his annual physical. He had his annual <laughs> physical today. You're laughing, even. You're a Democrat. Come on, Gov. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> what, what do you think's going to come up out of that physical, everybody? He's just swell. <laughs> Gov Patterson, come on. What do you, is he going to get an F or an E? What do you think? You know, well, it, based on that press conference, <laughs> I don't think it would work out too well, but I, I just think that. <laughs> he's a Democrat. The, I love hey, those uncastled There's a point, uh, that, that people probably for the best should, should not serve. Just locally, right here in New York, there's a councilman who was in the district that I live in, in Harlem. And he clearly had dementia. And he'd come to meetings and say things that had nothing to do with what was going on. And they couldn't get his family to stop him from running for the city council. And the result is that we got a socialist as our council person in Harlem now. Well, well what about Diane Feinstein the other day? I mean, he, she was asked, are you retiring? And she said, no, I'm not. And they said, well, your age just put out a press release <laughs> saying you're retiring. And she's like, oh, I, I guess I'm retiring. That's what she said, Lee Zeldin. Yeah, there are plenty of people who serve in office on many different standards of intellectual, moral competency. One wonders how that person got elected in the first place, how they keep getting reelected. The saddest part is that you have people who are serving in government. We see them in Albany. There are some down in Washington in Congress who run for reelection because they are unable, unqualified to get any other job. I would say no one should be serving an elected office because they can't get some other job. Yeah, right. That's Retire. not public service. Oh, and, and Congressman, I think you just threw out the whole uh, <laughs> half of the legislature, the congressional representation. I would start the city names, but we run don't out of time in the city show. Council. Don't forget the <laughs> city yeah, council. Yeah, don't forget about city council. By the way, everybody, John isn't with us today. He's off today, um, but I also want to give a, a big shout-out because his book is on the Amazon New releases, hot releases, right, Judge? It's um, how far do you want to go? Lessons from a common sense billionaire. This is this is like as we're talking about mental acuity. Nobody's sharper than John Katzmatidis. And having uh, read that book, I will tell you, it is one terrific book, and I endorse it for everybody's attention. Awesome. And everybody, stay with us on Cats at Night. We still have a blockbuster show ahead. We've got Charlie Gasparino talking about some big stuff uh, with the FTC. We also have Kathy Wild talking about how shoplifting is killing New York. And also Congresswoman Maria Salazar talking about the border and a lot more. Gordon Chang on the balloon. we got a full show here on Cats at Night. Stay with us, everybody. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katzimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. 
And this is Rita Cosby in for the great John Katsimatidis on Cats at Night. Still with us in studio is Judge Richard Weinberg, also former New York Governor David Patterson, and also former New York Congressman and New York gubernatorial candidate who led that red wave in New York, Lee Zeldin. And joining us now here on the show is Charlie Gasparino, of course, great Fox News business contributor, also does his regular segment there on the cost of freedom, one of the great economic experts out there. And uh, Charlie, great to have you here on the show. Thanks for having me, Rita. You know, you had a blockbuster story uh, about the Federal Trade Commission uh, pro there. This is the ultra-liberal woke uh, con. I love the title. It's called The Con Game. Tell us about it. <laughs> uh, I don't do the headlines. There are some really smart people at the New York Post who do. Um, well, I mean, Lee, I've been writing about Lena Khan since she got in there, and it's um, as head of the FTC. And, you know, most people don't understand what the FTC is. They don't understand what the SEC is. They don't understand what the FCC is. All these alphabet soup of, of sort of uh, regulatory bodies. You know, it's a blur, but they're really important, and the people who run them really set the course of uh, of the way the economy is regulated and, and economic growth. Uh, the FTC is particularly important because its jurisdiction kind of spans everything. It could bring antitrust cases. It could, you know, it could fine people, you know, people for gouging consumers, businesses for allegedly gouging consumers. It could stop mergers. Uh, it, it really is this sort of like you know, incredible weapon if it's put in the wrong hands. And the way Biden, what Biden did, and it just gives you an indication of just how left-wing the Biden administration is, how he's basically contracted all economic policy decision-makers to making to you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and AOC. Yeah, explain is, why she's so far left, why she is so well, woke. Well, let, let me just give, give you a little background here. So they announced her as a commissioner. This is a 30, at the time, she was a 32-year-old kid who... Spend time most of her time as an academic, a law student, and a congressional staffer. You know, putting up roadblocks for mergers and things. And also, she was famously wrote um, a, 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 a law a law school paper called the uh, Amazon Antitrust Paradox, which basically said Amazon should be broken up along with other companies like Meta, the owner of Facebook. In any event, they flick her in as a commissioner, knowing that she couldn't get through the Senate confirmation as a chair. And then named her the chair. It was it was just a mind-boggling, you know, sort of piece of subterfuge. And uh, by the way, if it was just her that that is far left in terms of these appointees, you know, it wouldn't be so bad. But it's every place. Gary Gensler at the Security Exchange Commission, very far left. Uh, they're looking now to push through um, Gigi Sohn at the Federal Communications Commission uh, as a commissioner. A lot of people say they may p- try to flick her in as chair at some point. Uh, it's really, you know, this is an administration that is moving the sort of regulatory state in in, in as a, I guess, what you, what you the best way to put it is to recreate something to, of our economy that looks more like Europe than the U.S. economy normally looks. Or more yeah. like uh, Cuba and uh, Venezuela. Go ahead, Judge. <laughs> I don't think they're quite there yet, but I can see what you're saying. Charlie, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. Hey, Richard. Which, which, Nice to have you back on the show. I'm very troubled by the fact that there was an op-ed piece in yesterday's Wall Street Journal discussing right. the fact that the sole Republican member of the Federal Trade Commission, Ms. Wright, said she could no longer lend her name and her reputation to sit on that commission because Khan is acting illegally, unethically, 
in the, no spirit of, of cooperation with a left-wing agenda. What do you say about that? It's scary. I mean, I read it, you know, and uh, like I said, I've been writing about Lena Khan for a long now you time. Are, you were way ahead of the curve. I remember the right. first time I heard about her was because of your column. Right. So, um, you know, that, that was shocking. Usually most of these people don't. They don't leave and, and, you know, do that. You know, they just leave. Uh, this is something. I mean, she actually said that the way Khan is is heading the agency is, is lawless. She talked about lawlessness. Um, listen, let, let's be real clear. There's something cool. Everybody goes to a job like this with a set of biases. I mean, that's why you're appointed. You're appointed by a president who's a Democrat. The elections have consequences. Get all that. But there's something known as the administrative code, right? You're supposed to essentially uh, do your job and vote in in a, in a certain way. You have to have – you have to, like – you can't be an advocate in these jobs. The administrative code calls for fairness and things of that nature. Due when process. You adjudicate. Due, due, due process. process. Right. You know, she's turning that on its head. I mean, if you read the column, which was fascinating, you know, Congress, we should point out, prescribes the powers of these agencies. So does court precedent. She's going beyond that. I mean, that's what that said. I mean, she's taking the agencies, creating an unelected administrative state of left wingers. And this isn't the first time people have said this about the Biden administration doing this from a regulatory standpoint. And, you know, there's a lot of there's court precedent that says what they're doing is illegal. You know, Congress is supposed to tell these agencies how much power they have. So Charlie president does as well. Uh, yeah. David Patterson, what would be the circumstance that would give people who feel this way the opportunity, perhaps, to sue the commission itself? I mean, anybody could sue anybody, David. You know that. Um, uh, you know, you have lawyers. Ask Judge Weinberg is a better would be better at this than I am. But he's laughing, yeah. by the way. So yeah, he's agreeing with you. Absolutely, I'm with you, Charlie. It would, that it would you'd have to sue, and um, and you know whether the federal courts. You know, whether if listen, if they get to the Supreme Court, uh, that would be great. By the way, there was a case that I think it was an EPA case. Check yes. me on that. Yeah, where they said that the EPA was ex- overextending its co- congressional statutory um, authority. Right. right? Congre- that right. was recent. Congressman uh, Zeldin is in the, in the room with us tonight, Charlie, and he can tell you. It's the Congress that makes the laws, administrative regs, only to enforce that mandate. Congress That's right. And uh, Charlie Lee Zeldin here. Uh, hey, so Lee. you wake up this morning and you see all these different new numbers come out. The producer price index misses the estimate. You have the, the permits for new construction, the, the new starts, uh, as well as the unemployment data. Uh, we are We pay attention to the consumer price index, inflation. Tell me how Con at the FTC... For anyone who's out there listening, how, how does Khan's decisions at the FTC end up impacting people's lives? Because a lot well, of people, they, they don't feel that connection or understand what the FTC does. Well, you know, here's the thing. A lot of Republicans hate tech. You know what I'm saying? They despise it. They want to break it up. And I can see why. There's an ideological bias. But for the most part, tech has contributed for many years to the low inflation we have. We buy things much more seamlessly on Amazon, Correct. I mean, if it wasn't for Amazon, could we have gotten through the pandemic? Probably not. You know, tech allowed us to do Zoom calls so you can work from home. If you start putting up barriers to that innovation, which she wants to do because she thinks all these companies are, you know, evil, well, then you're going to have an economic consequence. Those companies are not going to innovate. 
your life is going to be more expensive. Uh, jobs will go away because these are huge employers. Now, I'm not saying you have to kowtow to them. By the way, if, if, if big tech is censoring people, uh, guess what? You know, shine the light on it, which we're doing right now, and it's causing them to think twice. If ESG is bad, which I think it is, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but it's it's not a great investment vehicle, shine the light on it, which people are doing, and guess what? Wall Street is moving away from that. The, the question is not to put heavy regulatory burdens that prevent the next Amazon from, from, from popping up or the next, you know, Zoom, whoever, I think Zoom and, and Skype is run by one of these companies. I can't remember which one. I think Skype might be run by Microsoft. Um, it's, it's not to stop the innovation. And I think people like Lena Khan look at Amazon as inherently evil. Let's break it up. Let's make it more difficult to compete capitalistically. Let's make it, let's make government the sort of the engine of growth. And I, I just don't think there's a good record that government does much good for growth. All right. Well, Charlie, thank you. Really fascinating. Uh, great to have you here. The great Charlie Gasparino of Fox News. Charlie, thanks so much. And everybody stay with us here on Cats at Night. Rita Cosby filling in. We also have Lee Zeldin, Judge Richard Weinberg, and also former New York Gov David Patterson. A lot more on deck, everybody. We have Kathy Wild, who's going to be talking about how shoplifting and crime is affecting New York and also so many businesses leaving. But first, here is Lou Dobbs. And this is Rita Cosby here on Cats at Night for the great John Katsimatidis, who is off uh, busy because he's going to have a big blockbuster book coming out. By the way, you got to check it out. It is online already under Hot Amazon New Releases. And here at Cats at Night, we continue with Judge Richard Weinberg, also former New York Governor David Patterson, and former New York Congressman Lee Zeldin, who, of course, ran for governor that great race. Uh, we're going to have Kathy Wild in just a second. Uh, we also have former, we also have uh, Florida Congresswoman Maria Salazar talking about border and a whole bunch more. So everybody stay with us. And uh, real quickly, you know, uh, of course, crime was a huge issue in the governor's race. My God, I think about that debate moment, that thing. Famous debate moment when you were there and what the governor, Kathy Hochul, basically said, I don't really know why you keep asking me about that. That was that moment. That was so pivotal. It doesn't matter whether you're Republican, Democrat, independent. People want to feel safe on our streets, safe on our subways. And it's a real personal concern that a lot of New Yorkers want to see uh, prosecutors enforced in law. They want to see our men and women in law enforcement supported. Uh, they want to see. When laws are being passed, th- turning streets over to law-abiding New Yorkers instead of criminals. Uh, so this is something that shouldn't be viewed as a partisan issue. And quite frankly, and, even the mayor <clears throat> of New York City, Eric Adams, has been calling for reform. Yeah, big and, time. And uh, Congressman, to give credit where it's due, you not only motivated people to come out and vote for you on the Republican line, but you motivated Democratic leaders to speak on the same subject so that they wouldn't be considered part of a group that was forgetting about it, like former Speaker Nancy Pelosi has spoken on it, former President Bill Clinton, and I talked about it all summer. Uh, and it, you know, I don't know why uh, we politicize things to the point where, where something obvious is going on and everyone ignores it. And Absolutely. you're right also 
about Eric Adams, the mayor, who also pointed it out. Well, let's go to Kathy Wild, who certainly knows the impact that crime is having on businesses. Kathy Wild joins us now here on Cats at Night. She's currently the president and CEO of the Partnership for New York City. It's a not-for-profit that works with all the big city leaders and businesses. Nobody knows business uh, better than Kathy Wild. Kathy, great to have you here on Cats at Night. This is Rita Cosby with uh, with the boys here in studio. <laughs> Glad to be with you. Thanks, Rita. You know, I want to start because we were just talking about crime. We're going to get to also, of course, the cost of remote work, the impact it's having on New York. Um, but first, your reaction. There was a new article just recently that says that shoplifting, for example, up 45 percent, uh, 63,000 complaints last year. It's driving businesses away. Talk about the impact crime is having. Well, the most important thing to recognize is that it's a very small number of people that are committing one crime after another and getting, uh, you know, having a revolving door justice situation. And that's the real frustration. We're, we're not talking about, in a city of eight and a half million, we're talking about like 2,000 recidivist repeat offenders that are causing most of the problems. So it's very important that we figure out how to work together to get something done. And I think I'm feeling that finally we're at that moment where whether it's the DAs or the judges, the governor is now calling uh, in her budget is asking for the judges to have greater ability to make decisions based on who is the perpetrator, not not just some some law that's come out of Albany that says for these crimes you don't have to go to jail. If somebody's committed the crime 20 times, it's time to go to jail. Yeah, and also, as Gov Patterson was just talking about, um, it seems like it's now becoming more of a bipartisan issue. Uh, credit also to Lee Zeldin, who brought it up so much during the gubernatorial race. But there has been such a focus. Don't you feel it now from all sides? Because business people and residents, it doesn't matter what political strife, they want to be safe. They want to know the city's safe to do business in and live in. It is the number one issue for business in terms of bringing our employees. We recently had a meeting with Ken Griffin, the CEO of a big financial company named Citadel. He famously left Chicago after In one year, 11 of his employees were attacked violently. And he said, I can't recruit talent and bring them to this city anymore. And he and other employers sat with the mayor and said, you know, right now we're trusting you to get this right because we aren't going to be able to bring talent to New York City if we go the direction Chicago is going. So hopefully, certainly the mayor and the governor get the message our job now is to work on everybody else. Well, Kathy, it's Richard Weinberg. The, the problem, of course, as you know, and we've discussed this before, we have to get the state legislature to wake up and make some very substantive changes to the law. The raise the age issue is a very big deal. People are put in the family court when they should be in criminal court and Supreme Court. It's very important treating them as adults. You have to deal with recidivism. That's very, very important. You need to uh, recidivism make- is huge. And then this whole discovery law thing. Absolutely. My district attorney in Brooklyn told me last year, 60 percent of his misdemeanors were dismissed because of the technical because of technicalities. And misdemeanors are not it's, that's not little teeny crimes. Misdemeanors are things like assault. That's right. And shoplifting. 
and, and shoplifting? Yes, absolutely. And domestic, absolutely. a lot of domestic violence and misdemeanors? And, you know, Kathy, and before, also the, uh, uh, the, Kathy, before, before we let you go, Kathy, too, I know you want to talk about remote work costs, just the impact that all of that is happening. Uh, there was a report, it was like $12 billion, uh, that New York is losing because of remote work. Yes, there was an article in Bloomberg uh, based on a research study that said, I just want to clarify, they were talking about what Manhattan is losing because of remote work. Because prior to the pandemic, Manhattan had a million three office workers coming into the office, most of them five days a week at least and staying long hours. Post-pandemic today, in the survey we just completed in January, only 52% of those office workers are back in the office every day. So that's having a big impact on this, particularly the Manhattan Midtown business district, but somewhat through the rest of Manhattan. But the 12 billion is not disappearing. You know, people may not, may not be eating in food, on food trucks or, you know, buying from uh, going to the bar after work in Manhattan, but they are spending that money in their neighborhood because they haven't, dis- those people haven't disappeared. They're working somewhere else, some of them in coffee shops where they're patronizing there. So the neighborhood economies are good. I learned today that by 2021, by the end of 2021, our economy was bigger than it had been in 2019. So it's not a negative impact on the overall economy. It's a negative impact on certain areas, certain businesses. We've got to focus on fixing those things zero in on where the problems are with geographically and it's it's mostly Manhattan largely midtown in the older districts where they've got a 21% commercial vacancy rate which is you know unheard of so we've got to focus on that what are we going to do how are we going to bring people back there part of that is through residential conversion of yeah. older office buildings Part of that is through bringing in entertainment, culture, etc. Absolutely. Well, Kathy Wild, always we love having you on. Uh, you certainly know New York business better than anybody. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks. And it, thank you. And everybody, uh, just a little bit ago, of course, other big story is border. And we've been talking a lot about uh, the judge pick, Hector LaSalle, who was voted down by the New York State Assembly. Just a little earlier, John Katsimatidis and I talked to Florida Congresswoman Maria Salazar. Take a listen, everybody. And joining us now is Florida Congresswoman Maria Salazar, representing Florida's 27th Congressional District. Uh, Congresswoman, it's great to have you here on Cats at Night with Rita Cosby and John Katz. i got to ask you um, the big news that happened this week uh, with the judge, Hector LaSalle, in New York State, gets voted down uh, by a very liberal New York State Assembly. You're pushing to get more Hispanic voices. Here's this guy with great qualifications, and yet New York State Assembly, the, the Senate there, votes him down. Well, thank you very much for having me. You know, those things happen when the, the Hispanics don't fit their agenda. You know, you know, the Dems are always saying that they are the brown, uh, the ones representing the Hispanics, the brown people, that they're the ones defending their immigration and all the, all, every single, uh, Hispanic issue is going to be defended by the Dems. And it's, and it's all, and right here, when they have the opportunity to prove it, they didn't because it's all part of the agenda. If you are Hispanic and woke, we love you. If you are Hispanic and non-woke, 
then we don't accept you. Oh, I use the word common sense. If you're if you're Hispanic and have common sense, we don't want you. We only want the people that bow down to us and and do do things the woke way. Of course, of course, uh, John. And, and unfortunately, that's why I am. I've been trying to tell the GOP on, in Congress that Hispanics are more Republicans. They just don't know it. Just like Ronald Reagan said that Hispanics were Republicans. We just don't know it. We haven't found out. And that's exactly what's happening here. And that's why we're bringing the Hispanics to the GOP, because we are lo- we are the largest minority in the country, 23 percent of the population. But not only that, we're God fearing, law abiding, low taxes, family oriented, pro-life people that love the American exceptionality, that we do not want to destroy the white guy who gave us the opportunity to be here and enjoy the American dream. And, and that's why we have such a great confusion in this country and the border. Look at the border. They're using the Hispanics to send the message that we want open borders. No, we don't. Because those people who are coming in, more than 5 million illegals in the last two years, and the fentanyl and the child sex traffickers, those people are going to wind up in our barrios. You have hundreds of thousands of them in New York City. We want them to come legally. We, meaning the Hispanics. So, so we need to understand that we're being used to play political football for the last 30 years, and that's why I'm one of those voices in Congress saying enough. I agree. I agree 100%. And I have, I have a ton of Hispanic friends that have common sense Democrats. I have a ton of them. And you know what I say to them? Why don't the common sense Democrats have the courage to, 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 to stand up against the people that want to take away our, our way of life? Well, because you know what's happening, John? The problem is that leadership within the Democratic Party And I'm saying that the Dems are honorable people, and you see those very honorable members of Congress on the floor. But the problem is that leadership is scared from that very radical left wing within the Democratic Party. And that is the big problem. And I and I know and I see it. Some of the Dems that are moderates cannot speak because they are afraid and leadership is afraid. Schumer has been afraid of AOC for years because she's going to primary him for the Senate in the, in, in the state of New York. I mean, you know this better than I. I represent Florida. You guys are New Yorkers. How embarrassing. Yeah, it is that embarrassing. Schumer, that Schumer gave in to that agenda, which is a neo-Marxist. Well, and Congresswoman, you know, the other thing, too, I think about all the way to the top. I mean, look at President Biden in the State of the Union address, which is supposed to be protecting our country. He spends one minute, not even that, on border. He barely mentions border, barely mentions fentanyl. I mean, it it starts all the way at the top, at the top of the Democratic Party doesn't want to address it. That border is killing our kids. Number one, number one, a cost of death between 18 and 45, correct? Because of fentanyl. Come on. But, you know, John, the problem, Rita, is that the, the, the Biden, unfortunately, the immigration policy is in the hands of the executive. And Biden is surrounded by neo-Marxists. And those are his advisors. I, I, well, I, I do have to think that but President Biden, a guy who has been in public life for 50 years, is not, is not a neo-Marxist. It's just that I think he's physically challenged. 
and the people who are around him are giving him the wrong advice. Yeah, and guess what? And it's killing cities, though. It's killing cities. I mean, look at sure. like New York City, for example. They just opened up a seventh migrant hotel. Uh, Adams is trying to ship in the Canada. and eighty-four thousand New Yorkers, New York City, New York State people have moved in the last twenty-four months. And the breaking news today from California. They doubled that amount. 500,000 Californians have moved out. And they're going to places like Florida, where you are, Congresswoman. Yeah, number, that's right. Number one state, number one recipient of of, of uh, foreigners or, or, or escapees, people who are escaping. They come to Florida and to Texas. And, because, and you know, the, we're the land of the free. Uh, we're the yes, land of the free. Look yes. at DeSantis. Florida, you stand for freedom right now. Now, my my last question quickly is the, the immigration is not allowing Cubans and Venezuelans as much because, my opinion, they, they know how bad communism and socialism is. Yeah, they vote Republican often. Of course, and that's why I won. I am the only member of Congress, the only GOP on the floor that represents a urban center. The only urban center in the hands of a GOP congressman. It's me. Why? Because regardless whether my people are registered Democrats or independents, they vote for those who are non-Marxist, non-socialist, non-woke. And, and, and I am a perfect example because I represent the Nicaraguans, the Venezuelans, the Cubans, the, the Central Americans, people that know what socialism means regardless of how pretty you want to embellish it. How much you want to sugarcoat it, put in a democratic socialism or pragmatic socialism, anything that sounds like socialism, my constituents run the other way. Well, bravo. 15 percent. Yeah. Unseen. By the way, it's your passion. They love you and you keep up the great fight. We love you here. We appreciate you so much, Congresswoman. And thank you for being here. We have the right values that made this wonderful country the American exceptionality. And our only duty, yours and mine, is to preserve the American agenda. The American agenda is the one that made this great country. I mean, we're the most compassionate country in the world. Thank you. We're we're out of time, but I want to say thank you for coming on uh, today. And God bless you. God bless America. And let's pray for common sense to prevail. Keep up the good fight. <laughs> All right. And thanks to you for the opportunity. And always my love to you, John. My Thank love. You. Thank you. And everybody coming up here on Cats at Night, uh, the great Asia expert Gordon Chang with some big news on Biden and China. That after the break. Stay with us. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Cats at Night. This is Rita Cosby filling in here for the great John Katsimatidis. And, of course, the big story today, Biden breaks his silence and talks about the spy balloon and the others and our relationship with China. Who better to talk about all this than great Asia expert Gordon Chang? Uh, Gordon, what was your reaction to President Biden just a few hours ago? Well, the first thing, Rita, was that Biden said that he's going to defend American sovereignty. So that's good. And then he also said that he doesn't want conflict with China. But, you know, of course, nobody wants conflict with China. But the question is, does China want conflict with us? Because it wants things that really mean the end of the Westphalian international system that's been in place since 1648. The other thing that Biden said was a detail, but I thought was significant. 
He said that the three objects that had been shot down on Friday, Saturday and Sunday did not come from China and looks like it. they didn't come from any other state's surveillance program. He thought they were commercial or scientific. But Rita, no university, no company has said, how come you shot down my balloon? So I'm not sure that Biden was really leveling with the American public on that. And that's really important because those were three objects that intruded into North American airspace in very short order. Yeah, it sounded like it was like the way he was referring to it was like it was like a kid's project, like it might have been recreational and like they're like what Annie Oakley just sort of shooting them out of the sky. It was like even the Governor Patterson, we were both going astounded at at his lack of sort of candor, I think. By the way, think of the cost. The first missile missed. They have to actually fire two of these expensive military missiles to take one of these objects down. That's a great point. Lee Zeldin, um, who's with us here in studio, Gordon, was just bringing up, it costs $400,000 a missile. I mean, it, it's amazing, Gordon. What does this do to our relationship with China? Well, I think that really it makes things tense because the Chinese aren't happy that we shot down their spy balloon. And it's a good thing that we did, but of course we should have shot it down a lot earlier. What the Chinese saw was a Pentagon that has a lot of great technical capabilities because they saw it lift off from Hainan Island. But we saw a Pentagon failing to protect the United States. They had a long time to look at this and they decided not to do the right thing repeatedly. So I think the Chinese saw that that we're not prepared, I think, to um, think about China in a realistic way. American people really need to be concerned. Gordon, it's Richard Weinberg. You had an interesting column the other day, and you're pointing out that this may regrettably be a test run by the Chinese about launching either a first or a second strike. Could you discuss that, please? Yeah. Once the, the spy balloon entered the lower 48 states, it meandered over Maelstrom, F.E. Warren, Minot, Offutt, and Whiteman Air Force bases. Those are critical facilities. Offutt is a home to U.S. Strategic Command, which controls all nuclear weapons. The first three Air Force bases I mentioned are the home to all of our Minutemen three intercontinental ballistic missiles. Those are the ones which are the land-based triad, a part of the triad. And Whiteman is where we house all of our B-2 strategic bombers. So they wouldn't do that unless they thought that they were going to nuke us. And so we have to be concerned because these guys in China, whatever we think about them, they are preparing to go to war, and we cannot ignore that. Wow. Uh, Gordon Chang, you got to come back on again soon. Uh, big breaking news day here on Cats at Night. Gordon, we love you. We appreciate you. And, of course, everybody, before we go tonight, uh, this is Rita Cosby filling in for John Katz, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor Patterson, and Lee Zeldin. What do we stand for? Truth, justice, justice and the American, American way. way. Have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.